Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. Well, happy Easter, uh, Elmer Evangelical Missionary Church family. Glenn Rowland sent me this uh, picture. I don't know if you can see it uh, uh, on the camera there or not, but uh, it, it's uh, two parts on the top. There's a picture of a of an empty. Uh, church sanctuary with the uh, words worried about this room being empty Easter morning on the bottom a picture of the empty tomb with the words this one was too and that changed the world he is risen and indeed he is risen and uh, we celebrate that reality today while physically distant uh, yet socially and spiritually connected. And uh, so let's have a word of prayer on this glorious uh, Easter morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth, the most important truth ever, that Christ was raised from the dead on the third day so that we are no longer in our sins. And we have a hope uh, now that uh, will carry us through these days of of difficulty and uncertainty and a hope that will transcend the grave. I pray today for all who are fearful, for all who are facing um, difficult situations in their lives. We pray for the frontline healthcare workers, uh, those from our church by name, Sylvia Prazias and uh, Lisa Martins and Jonathan and Krista Ellie and Katie Morris. We pray for them today. Some of them will no doubt, no doubt be working as we are worshiping. And so we lift them up. We lift up the first responders, uh, those who are working in grocery stores and pharmacies. We lift them up today and pray that, um, uh, that uh, somehow they would be blessed by a kind word, maybe even from a Christian. We pray that this will be so. And now fill us with incredible joy as we consider uh, one of the passages that talks about the, the resurrection and its impact on, on the people who were there and by extension on us as we study it. Uh, may your spirit lead us and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past week, uh, I was out with uh, my granddaughters, and they were on their bikes. We, we go as often as we can down to the um, paved, uh, nice and wide trail that, that runs along Catfish Creek on the north side of the creek. Um, we are remaining physically distant from people as we do so, uh, but uh, we were the girls ride their bikes, and I walk and, and keep an eye on them as they ride by themselves down to the other end and gain a little bit of uh, independence, but um, I was waiting, and they, they came back to, to where I was, and they wanted to uh, go down and look at the ducks, and uh, they were by some trees, a group of trees, and, uh, and Gabby was the first one to... Um, um, step away from uh, not too close to the edge. I made sure of that, but to step away. And um, she, she must have startled something because she came running and towards me, and I didn't know if she was playing a joke on me. Her face uh, was just full of 
what appeared to be terror. And, um, and uh, when she got to me, I realized she'd been traumatized by something that she saw or experienced. And she said, there's something in that tree. And, and it, it, it hissed at me. And, and so I said, well, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a coon. Sure enough, we uh, walked up to the tree, and um, there was a fairly large hole, and inside there was a coon, probably a mama, with some babies in there, and um, this uh, coon took, took exception to being disturbed. And uh, poor Katie, or Gabby rather, she, I, I'm, I'm constantly calling Gabby Katie, I wonder why, but um, but. Gabby was, uh, you know, just ran with a, you know, just uh, almost afraid for her life. And uh, as I thought of that, I I thought of Mary Magdalene, and we read in John 20, uh, these words on the first day of the week, very early, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran off and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple the one Jesus loved. They've taken the master out of the tomb, she said. We don't know where they've put him. Now, what we don't get in the scripture are the sound effects and the facial expressions. Very early, she goes to the tomb. The stones rolled away. She obviously was able to take a look uh, inside and notice that that the body was gone. And and you can only imagine her reaction, indeed her uh, horror, uh, that that something uh, bad had happened, and uh, I wonder when she arrived to where Simon uh, Peter and and John were, if the tone wasn't more like they've taken the master out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. And um, if only I could make that sound uh, more screamy. Uh, I don't want to blow the speakers in our sound system, but I can only imagine what what Mary must have been feeling. The first thing we know is this, that on the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. By the way, that's the title of this message, on the first day of the week. And so point one, the tomb was empty, uh, causing uh, uh, quite a reaction in the first one uh, that John references uh, happened to be there to see that. The second thing we know is that on the first day of the week, the tomb was investigated because we, we read that Peter and the other disciples set off and went to the tomb. Both of them ran together. The other disciple ran faster than Peter and, and got to the tomb first. He stooped down and saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter uh, came up following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the napkin that had been around his head, not lying with the other cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. The tomb was investigated. I I think of um, uh, the many episodes of Amazing Race that I've watched over the years, and I can only imagine um, as these two are running to the tomb uh, and, uh, you know, clearly they got their next clue. Uh, John arriving first, but Peter actually entering in. Well, what did they find? Well, uh, the the amazing thing about this, uh, I mean, the tomb was neat and tidy. It, it tells us the tomb was neat and tidy. The linen cloths were lying there. The napkin that had browned his head uh, folded up, and um, you know uh, that that certainly 
speaks of of the fact that uh, that this could not have been a grave robbery. I mean, that, that would have been a, a bust, the roll of stone and grab, and and no concern for uh, tidiness for crying out loud. Um, uh, it certainly wouldn't have uh, qualified as a as a as a simple relocation of the body. Uh, why would they unwrap the body and and uh, take the care that that uh, is described here? Uh, <laughs> imagine, uh, you know, I mean, many of you have uh, uh, younger kids or teenagers, and uh, when they bolt out of their room, do they? How many of them make their beds? How many of them fold and put away their clothes? Um, usually it's, um, if, if they're anything like my experience, things are left in, in, in some amount of disarray, and yet they find this tomb uh, empty of the body and uh, the grave clothes and other things uh, neat and tidy, folded up. What did they conclude from that? The other disciple who had arrived first at the tomb, then went into the tomb as well. He saw and he believed. Believed what? Believed what? Because uh, it, it, the next verse says they did not yet know, you see, that the Bible had said he must rise again from the dead. So what, what did they believe? I mean, this is happening so fast. And in, in such a short time frame, uh, how can you possibly pull it all together and, and come up with a uh, well-thought-out uh, belief system concerning what had happened. But it says John saw and he believed. Did he finally remember and put some weight on what Jesus had said so many times to them in the lead-up to, um, to his death and, and burial that the, the, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, be arrested, flogged, beaten, crucified, and on the third day, rise again. And we're told over and over again that they didn't have a clue what he meant by rising again. But maybe John begins to put it together, at least initially. But it says he saw and he believed. But we also know that uh, on that first day of the week, Yes, the tomb was empty and it was investigated, but tears flowed incessantly. The disciples returned to their homes. What else are they going to do at this point, I suppose? Uh, later on, it, it seems that they would reconvene together in the upper room, given what we read uh, uh, partway through the chapter. But, but what else are they going to do right now uh, but, but go home? But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped down to look into the tomb. And there she saw two angels clothed in white, one at the head and one at the feet of where Jesus' body had been laying. Woman, they said to her, why are you crying? They've taken away my master, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. As she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She didn't know it was Jesus. Woman. Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She guessed he must be the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've carried him off somewhere, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Mary's assumption from all that she has seen and experienced is that Jesus' body has been taken elsewhere, and she assumes that the one who speaks to her then is the gardener. Well, quickly, tears are turned to unexpected recognition and insight and witness 
For the one who was the, assumed to be the gardener simply said, Mary. And instantly, instantly, there was recognition. And she turned and, and spoke in Aramaic, Rabunai, she said, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, said Jesus. I haven't yet gone up to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples, I've seen the Master, and that he had said these things to her. And again, we have a reference, the beginning of verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Mary becomes <laughs> incredibly a witness to the resurrection a witness not just to an empty tomb, which could have various explanations, and, and those explanations were clearly the first ones that, that Mary entertained, but she becomes now one of the first to see Jesus alive, and she becomes a witness. It's it, it said that, that um, if the gospel writers wanted to make a case for the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, and they wanted it to be believed by people, they never would have included the testimony of a woman because a woman's testimony at that, uh, at that time was not considered valid or admissible in a court of law. And, and the fact that they included it gives all the more eloquent and shocking testimony to the reality that they're, they're willing to put this out there. Yes, this woman, Mary, saw him alive, and she shared it with us, and we're telling you, and they would have their own experience of, of Jesus firsthand in, in very short order. But the power of, of what happened to Mary is just, just astounding, where her tears are turned uh, to uh, in a, indescribable joy. Well, what happened on the first day of the week? I mean, the facts are clear. The tomb was empty. It was investigated. Mary was, was weeping, and her tears are turned to joy. But what actually happened on that first day of the week? Well, I want to suggest to you that the way John tells the story indicates that he wants us to know that with the resurrection of Jesus, God's new creation has been launched on this earth. God's new creation, there is reference to the garden and the gardener and these, these images and, and, and reference to the first day of the week. These, these ways of telling the story cause us uh, to, to think, if, if we're thinking carefully, cause us to think of the creation account consistent with the way John writes his, his gospel. John starts, the, starts his gospel with words reminiscent of the original creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that was created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And by the way, on the first day of the original creation, the first thing God spoke into existence was light. And in the first chapter of John, we read of the light coming into the world. The, the life that he brought into the world was the light of men. And we further read in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not been able to overpower the light or to overcome it. The light emerged 
gloriously from the tomb in the person of the one who was the true light, as John puts it. The true light, which gives light to every everyone, was coming into the world, and that true light, who was the embodiment of, of God, the Word, who became fleshed and lived among us, uh, who was full of the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. This one who was the light of the world came, and, and on that first day of the week, the day of the original creation when light was spoken into being, on the first day of the new creation, light emerged unovercome from the tomb in the person of Jesus. John wants us to know that God's new creation has been launched with the resurrection of Jesus. The hope of Israel was that at the last day, the bodies of all would rise, and and Martha gives testimony to that, as does Mary at the time that just before Lazarus was raised. And, and Jesus declared on that day, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and his own resurrection demonstrated this, and that, that in the middle of history, so to speak, God um, brought forth his son from the tomb. Uh, Paul writes of this as, as being the first fruits, the first example of what is to happen to all. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, In fact, the Messiah has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It goes on to say, in each in its proper order, the Messiah rises as the first fruits. Then those who belong to the Messiah will rise at the time of his royal arrival. And then comes the end, the goal, when he hands over the kingly rule to God the Father. When he has destroyed all rule and all authority and all power, he has to go on ruling, you see, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed. And once that's done, and it has been done in principle, it will be done right across the board when, when Jesus comes in power and glory and when we are raised uh, to in, with bodies like unto his. Uh, and we read that uh, once, once this happens, then the sun, that, that, that where am I? <laughs> Lost my place. Well, anyway, anyway, the point is, that Jesus' resurrection is the launch of God's new creation. And um, new creation means for us, for you and I, a new reconciled relationship. Notice that Jesus says to Mary, don't cling to me. I haven't yet gone up to, to to my father, but go to my brothers. My brothers. Hebrews says Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Go to my brothers, these these ones who have have scattered and who have cut and run uh, and, and even denied they knew me. Go to my brothers. I'm not ashamed to call them that. Tell them I'm going up to my father and your father. Jesus would speak of his father, but now he's saying to my father and your father, to my God and your God. New creation means a new reconciled relationship. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against him, against us. And if anyone is in Christ, ah, there is new creation. There's new creation. You today in Christ are 
a foretaste of God's new creation. And as his people, it is our joy and task to to plant seeds of new creation, of the goodness of the coming kingdom of God, to plant seeds everywhere we go. Every word we speak to someone, every deed we do can be a seed planted of new creation and a, a word and a deed which will not be done in vain. It will last. New creation. And Jesus talks about here, too, of, of his ascension being vital to uh, the ongoing forward movement of God's new creation. He says, I haven't gone up to my father, but go to my brother and say, I'm going to my father and your father. And, and in the ascension uh, of Jesus, which would come, well, what is Jesus doing at the right hand of the father right now? Well, as I've already read, he's reigning He's reigning. He's working to put uh, every enemy under his feet, the last of which is death. Hebrews 10 uh, also uh, picks this up. But Jesus offered a single sacrifice on behalf of sins for all time and then sat down at the right hand of God. And from that moment on, he is waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. By a single sacrifice, you see, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy by their connection and interaction and relationship with Jesus, our great high priest. And as he is doing all that, he is also, we are told in Hebrews 7, 25, interceding for us, praying for us that we might stand firm and, 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 and hold fast our, our confession in spite of all obstacles. So he is Lord over all things, including COVID-19. And he intercedes for you in these days of trial. He knows everything that you are going through, every fear you entertain, every concern, every time you go out to the grocery store. And don't do that very often, but when you do, could you end up being infected by somebody? And we're, we're living with that reality right now. But he is Lord over all things, Lord over your life. He has you in the palm of his hands, and he knows that we can't meet this weekend. He knows our building is empty, and yet, what is he up to? What might Jesus, who is reigning at the right hand of God, in process of putting every enemy under his feet and interceding, what could he be up to at this time? Perhaps he's unleashing his, his people in a new and, and an unexpected way where now we, who are going through the same thing as everyone else, can, can be people who uh, speak hope, not, not in a... In a foolish and arrogant way. I, I, I got to tell you, I am upset and concerned by those pastors who um, have, I think, confused faith with arrogance and are going ahead and leading their churches in, in public meetings. I think they're making a big mistake. I think that we do well, uh, I'm being blunt, we do well to physically distance and in so doing, not risk that we become part of the community spread, if, if that can be helped, but to flagrantly fly in the face of all that we are being asked to do at this time for very good reasons and defend it on, on the basis that we are people of faith and we're not raising up spiritual pansies. I heard one pastor interviewed say that. 
who had every intention of meeting in his church today. Well, I, I pray for those. I pray for the people who gather that they will not inadvertently become spreaders of this disease through, through their, I believe, arrogant foolishness. I understand their heart, I think. But we need, to, um, we need to, out of respect for those who are leading and seeking to protect us, we need to uh, honor what they are asking of us and yet at the same time uh, convey hope and truth and grace in every way we can. And there are so many ways that we can. The Lord knows that we can't meet together or shouldn't. And uh, he also knows uh, that... Um, he is calling us in these days to be prayer warriors. He is calling us to support one another and, and to love one another in, in new ways. And, and so what is he up to in your life today? And uh, you know, be open to what the Spirit is leading you to say and to do, to communicate through uh, social media or by a phone call, whatever it is. I know there's one thing that didn't happen on the first day of the week. And what didn't happen was that Mary Magdalene and the, the disciples and others were not transported to paradise. Today, you will not be with me in paradise. It's as if Jesus would have said that to them. Well, uh, what then? He was about to, in the upper room, grant his spirit to his disciples. And he will say to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I am sending you as witnesses. I am sending you as agents of, of the new creation to plant seeds of new creation and to build communities of, of faith and faithfulness to me, to be those people who pray and work for the kingdom who pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, people of of gracious forgiveness, people uh, who accept their daily bread with thanksgiving, people who will not inadvertently or deliberately be drawn into, place themselves in situations where they are tempted to evil, people who long for and live for the kingdom as we live our lives in, in this earth, on this earth, in this country. Um, we ought to be the best kind of Canadian citizens in the midst of this current crisis, showing, shining the light of Christ and the hope of Christ uh, to all that um, we encounter in whatever way we encounter them, knowing that uh, there's coming a day when God will make all things new. He will put everything right. But until then, we live in, in hope, in anticipation. We live... Uh, fully with the uh, joy of Easter uh, and uh, the risen Christ. We, we have his spirit within us, uh, motivating us and, and granting us that capacity to live for the kingdom and love as one who belongs to the kingdom of God under the lordship of Jesus. And uh, so I pray that this Easter, as we are apart but not apart spiritually, not apart in, in purpose and in heart, that, um, that you will just look for ways, pray for ways that you can plant seeds 
of the kingdom of new creation. And uh, as you do so, may you do so under the blessing of the, of the God who longs to bless you and keep you to shine the light of his countenance upon you and, uh, and not turn his face away from you, but uh, look fully into your face as you look and turn your eyes upon him and turn your eyes upon Jesus. And may you in these days have the peace of Christ which passes all understanding and that will guard your hearts and minds as, as we go forward from this day the first day of the week happened 2,000 years ago, and may we live as agents of new creation until Jesus comes and, bring, and, and brings it all to completion. Until then, God bless and um, keep the faith in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.